I'm Joseph. I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Yep, yep, yep. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Okay. Uh, we're recording this on Zoom because you're at an undisclosed location. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'd like to thank uh, the additional people who have sponsored the podcast. You can go on to Spotify and give us as little or as much as 99 cents a month. <laughs> However you see that. Um, but it's very much appreciated. Oh, yes. But um, I was going to start with, we reviewed a movie called The Unseen. Yes. A 2023 film directed by a woman named, do you remember? <laughs> uh, a woman didn't direct it, she wrote it. Uh, oh, that's correct. Uh, the director, I believe, is Vincent Shade, who's done yep. some other things with the writer, whose name is Jennifer Goodman. So she's the writer, and for some reason, uh, is like a co-star of this film. I don't think her character is needed. Anyway, people are interested in the movie. They can watch our YouTube review of it. There's like there's only one other one, so clearly no one is checking for this movie. But this movie that no one's checking for, our video got more views than I would expect mm -hmm. um, for a film that no one's talking about. But that's because. We received several many like messages and emails. I just received a new email today, which is why I'm talking about it, that there's a lawsuit now between a form a previous producer of the film and the filmmakers because he's claiming that they made false claims of sexual harassment against him to slander his name after he was let go from the project and was talking about how they were incompetent. So I don't find this that interesting. We received so many messages about it. I feel like I had to mention it. Um, it just sounds like some petty ass people. I mean, the most remarkable thing about this movie is how incompetent the writer seems to be as a storyteller and an actor. <laughs> I find that more interesting. There's also an interview with her and RJ Mitty, who's the star of the film. They're on like some Good Morning LA TV show and it's her talking about the film. And she's so unimpressive. Like the way she's talking about the movie, just like, well, like I wanted to do it and people were willing to do it with me. So I, I never believed it could happen. Like so so uninspired so and then she reveals that um she's autistic um because i know in our review i mentioned that her previous film had a similar theme of someone who's um like, like it's sort of a crime-based story and then in her first movie or her first project that person's um autistic and then in the unseen, the main character has cerebral palsy. But there, I, I said what I needed to say <laughs> in reaction to all the messages. <laughs> but again, I don't think it's that interesting. You said something about Venice opener. What does that mean? Yeah, the Venice, the opening film has been uh, announced for the Venice, the 80th Venice Film Festival. And it, it is that film. Challengers, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Um, starring Zendaya, oh. which I've actually seen the trailer for. It looks 
interesting. It's uh, notably going to be out of competition. Oh. You've seen several Luca films, I think. Uh, we reviewed... Oh, well, you haven't seen Call Me By Your Name, but we reviewed um, um, Bones and All, his last film. Oh, that's him? Mm -hmm. So he's worked with Timothée twice. He likes Timothée. Oh. I know they wanted a follow-up to Call Me By Your Name, but <laughs> who knows if that'll happen. Guadagnino was supposed to do a decade ago a movie with Sigourney Weaver and Isabelle Huppert that never came to fruition, The Body Artist. Oh, based on a Dom DeLillo novella, basically, which I've read. Uh, I wanted to mourn the loss of the website Delisted. Do you, did you ever look at that website? No, but I'm aware of it. So I started looking at that website maybe like 11 years ago. Uh-huh. Because when I was doing hair, I used to do this woman named Phoebe Price, I would do her hair often. And she's this beautiful lady. She's a white lady with uh, copper colored hair. And she would always come in, get her hair done. And then the salon I worked in was on sunset, like in that, you know, fun part. And she would go outside and like take off her clothes. So in the salon chair, she'd have on like, you know, what do you call the, it, it's like a house dress that people wear outside, caftan. caftan. She, would wear, she would wear like caftan like things. And then when she was done, her hair was all pretty and she'd go in the bathroom and do her makeup because the salon had a parking lot in the back. So you could discreetly sort of pull in and go in with no one seeing you. But then there was a front entrance right on the sunset. So this lady every time would get her hair done, go do some makeup and then take off the caftan and she'd be in like bra and panties and walk out on sunset and there would be paparazzi there. Um, and finally I asked her maybe like the third or fourth time, like, what is going on? Like, what, why are you doing this? And she said, well, like I get put in like the, like the tabloid, like websites. So she mentioned delisted. So that's when I looked it up. And the creator of delisted, Michael K, I guess was like obsessed with her. And he would post about her every week. Like, like she was like a common uh, topic that he would talk about. So that's how I became familiar with the website. And I, and I read it every day. And then last week he announced that it's shutting down. I did see that it was shutting down, yeah. Which made me sad because, and he writes a long post about it, which is actually really interesting for anyone who ever read the website. I think it's worth taking the 10 minutes to read it, but just talking about how social media has changed a lot and how people get their news and the traffic for his website had diminished and it just isn't worth it financially. And talking about how, you know, at the peak of it all, he had all these opportunities and how he never imagined that would happen so it's like bittersweet because um, his sense of humor and all the staff writers he had over the years, I always thought were very funny. Um, well, I, I knew that it was known for kind of having a, a snarky sense of yeah. humor. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So that's so, it. I'm, I'm sorry that you're mourning the loss. 
I should have put it in the obituary section, perhaps. Uh, oh, but I have a, an item to add to that that I didn't tell you I wanted to talk about. Okay. That is uh, Xavier Dolan has officially uh, stated that he's retiring from filmmaking. This is the filmmaker you don't care for. I don't, and I've met him. Uh, <laughs> I, Which is sad because I, I still really liked his first movie, I Killed My Mother, but I don't think... I don't think you've seen any of his stuff. You've seen him as an actor because he's in the opening part of It Chapter 2. He's one of those ones that are gay bashed. Isn't he in Martyrs? He is in Martyrs, yes. Uh, that was... I remember him from that more than It Chapter 2. But he put, he put out a statement that I think is a testament to kind of his shitty attitude. <clears throat> you really don't like this man. Go ahead. <laughs> I find him annoying, and I, I don't think he has a perspective or a worldview that's justified, I think, several of the films he's made. But um, do you want me to read the statement? Yeah, go ahead. I gave up filmmaking and directing. I no longer have the desire or strength to commit myself to a project for two years, and then hardly anyone sees it. Oh. I put... I put too much passion into it to take so many disappointments. It makes me wonder if my filmmaking is bad, and I know it's not. Oh, I don't understand what is the point of telling stories when everything around us is falling apart. Art is useless and dedicating oh. and dedicating himself to the cinema is a waste of time. Well, I mean, that is, you can apply that directly to his own uh, cinema and storytelling, I think. But uh, I have been planning, I do want to do a secret film uh, for the podcast on the death and life of John F. Donovan, which is terrible, terrible terrible that film he, that he directed that he directed that what i can save that conversation for us talking about that film but um i don't know i just he just oh, really rubs me the wrong way but wow there's a lot in that statement to unpack um but yeah he seems very uh like as dave Chappelle would say a fragile spirit <laughs> oh and he's directed a couple of dell videos most notably he did the video for hello oh Wow. He's, he's got an eye, uh, but but he he can't tell a story or write characters to save his life. Well, let's move on to some better stories. You want to give us your top five releases for June? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it's we we buzzed all through June. Uh, kind of a, it, it was kind of a, I don't know, a strange month, I guess. But at number five, I put Elemental. The cartoon. Yes. Number four. I put No Hard Feelings, which I don't think is a, a great film, but I think Jennifer Lawrence is worth checking out in it. I saw a headline that said this is the top grossing R-rated comedy of the decade. It is only 2023 and we survived a pandemic, so I don't, I don't know how what much of a distinction that is, but there we are. Number three. The Blackening. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Again, not a horror film. I think if you're trying to uh, approach it as such, you will be disappointed, but I think uh, a pretty good ensemble cast. Or comedy, yeah. Yeah. Number two? Blue Jean, which we also reviewed. Yeah, I thought that was excellent. Yeah. Number one? Past Lives, which you have not seen. No. Uh, but definitely worth checking out. Moving on to films released we didn't cover, Biosphere. Uh, yes, it's. I think it's a debut by a director named Mel Eslin and uh, Mark Duplass and Sterling K. Brown are the last. All I know about it is that they're the last two men on Earth, and I don't know what they're doing, but we didn't watch it. 
The League? Uh, this is a documentary about the first black baseball league. <clears throat> it's directed by Sam Pollard, who was Oscar nominated. He co-directed uh, that documentary, Four Little Girls, with Spike Lee. Uh, I think MLK slash FBI was another one that got a lot of attention that I've not seen. The Lesson? Um, I did watch this. I was going to review it for our site. <laughs> it's... Okay. Uh, it stars, I forget his name, that kid from Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, uh, opposite Emma Thompson, the the sex worker, if you remember that film. Yeah. Uh, this is the directorial debut of, uh, I forgot to look up how to pronounce her name, Alice Troughton. Uh, she has worked in television. She did a, a mini series version of The Midwich Cuckoos, which of course you've seen yeah. as a villain. Damned. Um, but the, the original name of the book by John Wyndham is The Midwich Cuckoos, uh, which I'm still interested in watching. But this is her narrative film debut, and it stars Julie Delpy and kind of a fabulous Richard E. Grant, uh, who I know you you probably don't remember him, but he's in Spice World and recently Oscar nominated for Can You Ever Forgive Me as uh, Melissa McCarthy's little gay drunken sidekick, who I thought was pretty good. Okay. But it, it, it's okay. It's about, uh, it's one of those stories that is about a famous author who kind of steals someone else's manuscript. Oh, The Outlaws? Uh, this is a new Netflix film directed by actor turned director Tyler Spindle. Uh, and it stars Pierce Brosnan and some other people that I'm forgetting. I think my mom said she tried watching that on Friday and didn't like it. Oh. She okay. even sent me a she even sent me a picture of it. Like I really didn't like this movie. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Um. The and lastly, the YouTube effect. Uh, I did watch this, and I recommended <clears throat> that you do as well, because it's being on YouTube. Uh, it, it's interesting. It goes over the genesis of, you know, kind of how that changed social media, and how people interact with it, and how this uh, algorithm uh, of directing content towards people had a heavy hand in you know the 2020 elections etc uh but it's directed it's interesting uh it's directed by alex winter who you know from bill and ted's the bill and ted movies uh which oh. i find it uh, and i also just saw him in that old ivan pastor film haunted summer but yeah well let's take a quick break projects of interest so uh, Sean Baker has a new movie. Sean Baker has announced he's directing a new movie. So that's always exciting. Uh, it's called Honora. And I'll just read, but he said something about the title. Like it won't make sense now, but by the time you see the end of my film, you'll never forget it. Uh, and apparently has something once again to do with the sex worker. Uh, clearly his uh, point of interest. Uh, so I'm very curious for that. You've seen several Sean Baker films. Yes. Well, have- I only remember Tangerine. You've seen Red Rocket. Oh, and Red Rocket. Yep. Uh, and highly recommend Starlet as well, which he did before Tangerine. Something from Sherry and Dubby. Uh, yes. I liked her first film, Amrika. I wasn't crazy about May in the Summer, which I remember seeing at Sundance, but she uh, is collecting money funding for her new project that's called All That's Left of You. Hmm. Something from Anders Thomas Jensen. A Danish writer that uh, also has directed several features. The one, I know I made you watch Men and Chicken. Yeah. Uh, with Ads Nicholson, which I I just think that movie is 
very dark and funny and kind of right up my alley of weird freaky shit. But uh, he is also collecting money for a new project called Back to Reality. Lastly, Olivier Lax. Uh, yes, whose previous film, I can't remember if that was a debut, was really good called Fire Will Come. Uh, and he's... The, the, I'm hoping this is a working title. It's, it's called After, but that's that's exciting to me. Moving on to movies we watch for fun. You saw something called Santa Claus Has Blue Eyes. Yeah, I have screeners for... They're doing a John Eustache uh, retrospective, and I've only ever seen The Mother and the Whore, which is fucking fantastic. If you... it And now that it... I'm, you know, it used to be so hard to get a hold of for years. I remember watching a two-disc VHS tape, uh, but Can Classics was it 2022? Uh, I, I got to see the restoration of Mother and the Whore on the big screen, which was probably the best thing I saw at the festival, but that that would be a good secret film too. Mother and the Whore is great, uh, but he has a whole body of work. I mean, he killed himself, uh, but so a bunch of shorts, medium length films. Uh, I'm supposed to be working my way through those, but I've only made time to watch Santa Claus Has Blue Eyes uh, from 1960, 1966. It's a roughly an hour long film starring Jean-Pierre Léod as a poor young student. It's kind of post wavy, uh, basically trying to wander around trying to find girls. But uh, and he gets a job as a uh, Santa Claus uh, where he gets to take pictures dressed as Santa on the street for the Christmas season and finds out that he has much better luck with women while he's doing that. Okay. Next, Savage Messiah. He might've been in the room while I was watching this, but uh, I'm trying to, you know, cause you know, I'm a fan of Ken Russell and there are a couple titles I haven't seen, uh, but, and this was one of them and it's uh, a, a biopic uh, that's, that's pretty, not as extravagant as you'd expect from Ken Russell and his biopics. It's more contained than than you'd think. But this is 1972. I think he's self-financed. Uh, but it's about uh, a famed French sculptor, Henri Godère, uh, and his rather strange relationship he had with a Polish woman who's also an artist who is also often overlooked in his shadow, Sophie Breszka, and it's uh, pre-World War I. Uh, but I, I quite like that. Booty call. Booty Call. Uh, yeah, you know, it, the Booty Call is one of those films that there was a reference point for my friends in junior high. And there are, are scenes that are probably burned in my memory, but I don't know that I ever sat and watched it start to finish. I know yeah. I've seen it, you know, 25 years ago. Well, what year is it? 97? Seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I probably saw it the year after it came out. Um, does it hold up? It's okay. Uh, it's, it feels of its time. I, you know, when it skirts into kind of homophobic areas, it doesn't go as hard uh, or disastrously. Uh, I mean, I think I think the line "doo doo chasers" is funny, but <laughs> well, for me, I think the, the 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 female leads, Vivica Fox and Tamela Jones, uh -huh. they're stronger. They're written as more intelligent and maybe true to reality. I mean, the women are smarter than the men, but um, yeah, they're they're more interesting and fun. I think I don't really care for Jamie Foxx <laughs> in general. Um, I think he seems to try really hard and pairing him with Tommy Davidson, who I do find very funny, like sort of effortlessly funny. 
the pairing of those two, I know they were on in living color together and they've done scenes together many times, but I just, I just didn't love it. Um, but it is interesting watching the story have so much emphasis on like safe sex. I mean, that is kind of the main plot line is that these women insist on having safe sex. So they need certain types of condoms, dental dams. And so the guys have to go back and forth to try to procure those in the middle of the night. Uh, and they use saran wrap as distant <laughs> So, I mean, it's very, I don't know, it feels a little hacky at times, but... Um... It, it is. Well, and then, you know, probably the worst bit is the the Middle Eastern convenience store owner who is not played by somebody that's Middle East. The, the one guy is from True Lies, uh, but the his his cohort is definitely... Well, and the other one gets upset that someone calls him Palestinian, I think. And he is Palestinian. Yeah, <laughs> the actor is Palestinian. Yeah, the other guy's like, guy that was i mean i know for the 90s people thought that was funny but it's it's still pretty awkward with that's that. the worst but i think vivica is quite funny in this that is funny yeah yeah and and tommy davidson's always cute and he, he doesn't have much to do he's kind of the straight man yeah dog boys okay this was a ken russell film also that i'm not familiar with that it was a tv film for hbo I think also in like 96 or seven and I starting Brian Brown and um, Dean Kane and Tia Carrere. Uh, and it's about this Brian Brown, his wife was murdered by some criminal and he becomes this prison guard and he's running this secret division uh, that called the dog boys where these men uh, train dogs to basically they're unleashed to uh, prevent anyone from escaping and getting to the fence at this prison. And this particular prison has a lot of uh, men that seem to try to escape and get, you know, mauled and killed by the dogs. And it turns out that Brian Brown is has a vendetta against criminals. So he's basically playing the most dangerous game by making these people. He's setting uh, prisoners loose and then having the dogs hunt them. Oh. <laughs> um it's not good, uh, but it was entertaining in a way that some things aren't now. Junior. Because uh, we'd, wa we'd watched Twins last week, so that made me uh, hungry to rewatch Junior, which I haven't seen since I was a kid, and we probably watched it on HBO. I don't think it's a good movie. Yeah, no. Because uh, there are so many things that don't make sense that I think that you could have written to better make sense such as where this how this how this baby in arnold's body is being fed well the premise, it either needed to be smart and satirical like have it make sense that that yeah like this man who doesn't have a uterus like how are they making how are they allowing this fetus uh baby to survive in this so-called womb like they either need to go that direction or they needed to make it full on ridiculous, like gaggy jokes. And, but it's, I don't know. The vibe is weird because it's clearly a comedy, but then it's trying to be heartwarming. But then I really don't feel that from any of the characters. Danny DeVito, who I always like, is doing his thing. He's probably the most comedic. I really didn't like Emma Thompson. Oh. She is a scientist who's clumsy, like that was a character trait, and it's her frozen egg that is stolen to impregnate 
Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she, who is a scientist, is not asking any of the obvious questions was driving me crazy. Then Danny DeVito's ex is in the, she's in the picture because she's pregnant by another man because they're divorced. And he's a like fertility doctor. So she wants him to like do all her prenatal care, which seemed like weird. Yeah. I feel like that had no point. And then in the very end, Arnold does give birth to the baby. And then he ends up making a life with Emma Thompson. And then Danny goes back to his ex. Pamela. And then there's Dan, Dan, Pamela wants another baby, but she doesn't want to have to go through the pregnancy again. So then the final joke is that Danny DeVito could carry the baby. It just was not... Then no, and Frank Langella is the villain. The villain, <laughs> and the the score is terrible. But I I will say Arnold is very cute in it. Well, if if a person is moderately interested, I would recommend, if nothing else, just watch. It's like at the beginning of the third act, where no, it's the end of the second act, where Arnold they have to put him in like drag, I guess to hide him from like scrutiny so he goes to this like expensive how would you call it like getaway where pregnant women go to have their babies quietly so it's like for rich ladies and arnold in this like hair and makeup is so funny (laughs) because montage where he's becoming more feminine and like a nurturer caretaker and all the shots of him with the women holding hands and smiling (laughs) It's a nightmare, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It remind you know I've owned this film for years, never watched it. it. Reminded me that I've never seen a slightly pregnant man starring Catherine Deneuve. You watched The Crush. God, what a trash movie! <laughs> well, the first thirty minutes, and I thought it was kind of funny, like effective, and like it was uncomfortable enough. But then you didn't, you finished it and didn't like it. No, and it, it's directed by Alan Shapiro, who actually used to be an assistant to Ken Russell. He worked on the film Altered States. Uh, but apparently this is based on a real-life experience he had, and it's the uh, debut of Alicia Silverstone. It's giving very much Poison Ivy vibes, remember, with Drew Barrymore, except this is probably better than Poison Ivy uh, production value-wise, but it's dumb. It's stupid. And that's it. That's- uh we watched Beat Street. Yes. Directed by Stan Lathan. Mm-hmm. It's like early 80s, New York, and really just about a group of artists like trying to make it on the scene as, I mean, this probably was before the term hip hop was coined, but basically hip hop artists. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, the vibe of the film to me was like a really long, like talent show. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That culminates with a really interesting performance. That's like rap mixed with gospel. <laughs> it's like a very uplifting. Uh, and there's a dance club scene where all these guys, yeah, it's all men dancing, but it reminded me of Gaspar Noe's climax a little bit. Yeah. There's a big dancing sequence. That's pretty impressive. I think for this type of movie the music is pretty solid there are actual like rappers in the movie people many of us wouldn't recognize but 
like sort of the originators of hip hop. So um yeah, it was it was okay. Compared to something like rapping, it's like a classic. But uh yeah, it's just okay. And starring a a lovely and young Ray Don Chong. Yeah, she's beautiful. You rewatched Eastern Promises. Yeah, uh Cronenberg film I haven't seen since it came out in theaters. Uh I forgot Vigo Mortensen had uh gotten an oscar nod for this movie but and i think he's he's clearly the best part of it but i like it well enough i i it seems to me like it just ends the i always remember eastern promises because it was the first movie like it was the first time i think i saw like what would be considered like an indie movie at like an indie theater oh. and i for sure thought you had taken me there but apparently it wasn't you so someone out there took me on a date to, I remember having dinner before and then going to the Lagoon or the Landmark Theater, right? That's the Lagoon, that's a Landmark Theater. Mm -hmm. The one that had multiple screens. Yeah. yeah, the Lagoon in Uptown Minneapolis to watch Eastern Promises. And now I'm so curious, who would I have known who would have taken me to a movie like that? But That was right before I met you. Cause I remember going with uh, my friend Cody and I still remember the lady that was, when I bought tickets, she's like, oh, uh, rest assured, this is, uh, there's some Russian sequences with English subtitles. I'm like, well, that's good, because I don't speak Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, you watched Fighting Back. Fighting Back, yes. Uh, you don't remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. I Sorry, I just watched this with uh, my sister. Um because the title is not very good, but this movie has not aged well. Uh, it's directed by Louis Teague, who uh, directed Cujo and something else that I should remember, but I'm not. This is in in the wake of uh, Death Wish days. It's about that it's set in Philadelphia, and Tom Skerritt is an Italian that owns a like mom and pop uh, deli, and his wife is paid by played by patty lupone and she's pregnant with her second child and it, it's with some of their relatives are moving away and it's seen like the city has become like an urban war zone and she sees some pimp while they're driving one day just manhandling a prostitute like just just beating this woman into the trash bags on the corner and she gets out of the car fully pregnant her mother-in-law in the backseat and her young child and tries to waylay this pimp, which of course goes south. There's a car chase scene. That's pretty fantastic. And then she miscarries the baby. So it's like, well, I mean, so of course she wants to leave. Tom Scare doesn't. And then um, two days later, she's still in the hospital. His mother uh, walks in on a robbery at the pharmacy down the street. And th these people robbing, it's violence. They killed the pharmacist and then they want the, a ring on this old lady's fingers and they cut off her finger to get the ring. Wow. So then the movie becomes like super, uh, it feels like today where this group of white men are basically doing this neighborhood watch. Uh, and of course, most of the uh, criminals are these black and brown people. And the two people that uh, maimed his mother are hiding out in an area of the city run by Yafit Koto, his co-star from Alien, playing somebody named Ivanhoe Washington. And it's weird because the script, the, several of the black characters have an awareness about 
kind of how problematic the white people are and what they're doing, but yet the film is still fashioning the white people as these heroic saviors. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it doesn't work. But it's interesting. Patty Lucone looks young and beautiful. Uh, but yeah, worth a watch. Well, speaking of Tom Skerritt, he's in our secret film, but we should take a quick break. This week's secret film, We Let Your Sister Choose It, mm -hmm. chose the 1983 American science fiction thriller film, The Dead Zone, directed by David Cronenberg. Do we know why she selected it? No. <laughs> I think we were throwing titles out there and we landed on that. Um, so this is the only Stephen King book I've ever read. And one of the only ones that I have not read from that time period when I was invested in him. Mm -hmm. Don't we compliment each other well? We certainly do. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so I also saw this movie. And when I tell you, I didn't remember a single thing about this story. So I was happy to rewatch it. The IMDb synopsis says, a man awakens from a coma to discover he has a psychic ability. I did not remember that. <laughs> oh, see, that's about all I remembered. I haven't watched this since I was a kid uh, watching with my parents. So to tell the story, Christopher Walken plays a guy named Johnny, and it's like early 80s New England. I think they're in Maine. Like all of Stephen King's Castle Rock, yep. Yeah. And Christopher Walken is a English professor, an English professor at a college, I believe. And those kids are young. Is it a college? So he's an English teacher. Well, anyway, he is in a relationship with Brooke Adams, who is also a teacher at this school. And we see one night uh, he takes her home. He's very much a gentleman. He's very religious. And she is like, why don't you come inside? It's pouring rain outside. And she's being very assertive, like, why don't you come on side? Or come it's on, night. literally, figuratively, <laughs> you can get wet in here, all that. And he's like, no, no, no. Like Janet Jackson said, let's wait a while. So she's like, okay, well, be careful out in this rain. And then we see him, we see like an 18-wheel truck carrying a big... Uh, what do you call it? It's, it's like a diesel or the, the the trucks that carry gasoline or oil, whatever that thing is called, the trailer. The truck carrying that, except it's not gasoline or oil, it's milk, which yep. is so ridiculous. And the trailer falls off the truck and is very slowly like sliding down the road. Easing on down the road, yeah. God, it was so chill. And Christopher Walken driving his Volkswagen Beetle like careens into this thing. I don't know if the brakes didn't work. I don't know if the steering wheel was broken, <laughs> but he ends up in the hospital badly injured. So we see him bloodied and bruised. And then we the next scene is him waking up in the morning in the hospital and he looks perfect. And it's daylight and the nurse is there. And he's confused because he's like, where, like, why don't I have bandages? And that's when we realize uh, two things. One, he, it was in a coma for five years and that he has the ability or these psychic abilities so like when he touches the nurse he has a premonition that the nurse's daughter is like in a house fire and he tells her that so she runs home and sure enough the house is on fire and she's able to save her daughter 
he touches the doctor and sees that the doctor left uh like escaped Poland from the Nazis and that his mom was presumed to be dead, but she's still alive. Cause the doctor and then the doctor confirms that by calling her very easily. <laughs> yeah. Looked it up. He's like, I looked it up and I looked her name up in information. Like, okay. You didn't and, drive up already. Now in 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 what state? Like where do you think she is? Like where I think she's probably in Europe. Right, but like what in what directory? It's like the early 80s. Where who would you just don't call 411 talking about get me to blah 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 in Poland? Like, so that was ridiculous. But anyway, Christopher Walken goes viral because the nurse tells the media that this patient like had a premonition that saved her daughter's life. So he ends up like solving like a a, a serial killer murder case and he reunites with brooke adams who is now married with a kid they have like a sexual rendezvous that goes nowhere and christopher walken has to move like out of the city to get away from all the because he's receiving like fan mail people wanting him to like see into their future and so one day this rich man knocks on his door and says hey i have a son who's kind of like a shut-in and he's not he doesn't want to read and i need you to come help him because i know you're an english teacher and christopher walken agrees for some reason <laughs> so now he starts tutoring this boy uh named chris and up another plot point that didn't make sense to me is we find out that rich dad knew Christopher Walken was like this psychic who's also an English teacher. So he, I guess the dad was not expecting Christopher Walken to share any premonitions about their life, but he does. Christopher Walken says, oh my God, your son's going to die playing ice hockey. So you have to stop him. Mm -hmm. Dad gets mad, which we can talk yeah. about. But, and says like, he tells Christopher Walken, you're fired because you're weirding me out. And then he pretends to say he'll, he pretends that he's going to cancel the hockey game, but he doesn't. So Christopher Walken is on a mission to like stop the hockey game. And this is the end of the film. But it's important to know that when he met the rich dad, because the rich dad is like a donor to political parties, Martin Sheen plays a guy who's running for senator. And he's a creep. And at the end, when Christopher Walken is trying to, like, figure out what's happening with the sun, because the way Christopher Walken can, like, read people's past and futures is by touching them. So he's at this political rally trying to find the sun, and he shakes yeah. Mark. Huh? That, is already, that has already happened, because remember, he finds out, he reads the newspaper article that says two kids died in that. Oh. Right. That's right. The boy does die. Sorry. So, yeah. So, so the boy dies, but no, not his boy, that boy doesn't go. Oh, right, right, right. See, I'm getting confused, but he's at this political, Christopher Walken's at a political party, shakes Martin Sheen's hand and gets a premonition that Martin Sheen will become Senator. Then he will become president. And while he's president, he's going to launch some missiles. So Christopher Walken is like, I have to stop him. And he likens Martin Sheen's character to Hitler. Yep. Which I thought was a very like loose, weird connection. But he uh he decides to kill Martin Sheen, John Wilkes Booth style. But when he shoots him, he misses. 
And then Christopher Walken ends up getting shot. But when Martin Sheen was being shot, he grabbed a baby. Brooke Adams' baby. To like shield him from the bullets. And there was a photographer there who took a picture. So we presume Christopher Walken's been shot and killed, but he's still alive at the end of the film, like on the ground, bleeding to death, when Martin Sheen comes over to like execute a final blow. And Christopher Walken touches him and sees that in now Martin Sheen's future has changed because there's like a Time Magazine article and the front page photo is Martin Sheen holding that baby and basically how his political career was ruined. And then we see, and then we see Martin Sheen committing suicide by blowing his brains out, the end. So it's like uh, the dark version of a Seinfeld episode that, that like George Costanza. Um, yeah. I did not like this movie. It's entertaining enough, but I think the screenplay is bad. And I kept thinking, because I didn't know this was a series later oh, on. With Anthony Michael Hall, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thinking throughout, like, this needs to be a mini series because there are, like, six different stories happening and they're not well-developed. And I just feel like we're just going from one scene to the next and then it just ends. So it's very unsatisfying. The acting from Martin Sheen is crunchy. Martin just- Sheen can be very OTT sometimes, and he is... But I'm just very unsatisfied because there's so many interesting things like this could have just been about I, I wish the film would have focused like act one on this man who had this traumatic accident and wakes up with psychic ability discovering it and then maybe the rest of the film is about him trying to solve this like serial murder case like that yeah. Would- which yeah that wasn't the most interesting where we find Nicholas Campbell who plays Tom Skerritt's uh I guess subordinate because Tom Skerritt's the the sheriff uh, yeah. ends up being the serial killer. And it's like that gets dispatched real quick. And then you have Colleen Dewhurst playing his mother in this kind of Silence of the Lambs type style scene in the house. That's like, well, that went very fast. That's also pretty over the top. So that could have been good or it could have been like a political thriller where he's trying to prevent a politician. Like it could have just been about Martin Sheen and how Christopher Walken is trying to prevent him from winning because he knows he's going to be like a terrible president. But yeah, when you put it all together, it just feels like a mess. It just feels like I, a lot thrown in. I still find it highly entertaining and it clips along at a decent pace at least. And I really, I highly enjoy Christopher Walken in it. Um, it reminded me of a couple of De Palma films. Like the the political angle is a bit like De Palma's uh, blowout. But uh, it, in Cronenberg's filmography, because this came out in between Videodrome and The Fly. And it's kind of less well-regarded, I think, than those two films. But it, it feels kind of like De Palma's The Theory. Oh. Which we also did a podcast on. Well, let me go through my notes. Um, I'm not familiar with Brooke Adams. Okay. She reminded me of, um, well, you don't use Daily Burn anymore, but there's a Daily Burn trainer named Phoenix Carnivale. She's the one who's always talking about like hip hop and- Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought she looked like her. <laughs> Phoenix, yes. Uh, she, God, she used to remind me of somebody else I'm blinking on now, but- uh... 
She's probably, she's in uh, Philip Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is an excellent movie. Uh, she's also in a terrible film where Kathy Griffin plays a lesbian that gets killed with a hammer called The Unborn. Uh, oh, I film, actually. But yeah. <laughs> Brooke. So when Christopher Walken is at Brooke Adams' house and she is like thirsty for him to come in and he tells her some things are worth waiting for, that was so funny to be. <laughs> well, and she's just like, Thomas, you're going to marry me. You're going to marry me. When she goes to visit him after his accident, that's what she's, he's like passed out and bloody. And she's like, oh, don't leave me. You got to marry me. Oh my God. You know, there's nothing wrong with him wanting to wait like I that that's not what's funny to me it's the fact that like this woman is clearly not on the same page as you are so I feel like that already is like a my, my sister's like it's always a bad sign when the guy wants to wait yeah and and then after the five years in a coma like you thought she was gonna wait around for you like no <laughs> she clearly has hot draws like she got She's not waiting for you. Um, the scene where he runs into the milk container. Am I crazy or did that just look ridiculous? It looked ridiculous also because it's raining heavily with Chris Walken and then the truck, wherever that, it doesn't seem to be raining on the truck. That, it looked like, it would be like if you saw slow moving lava coming towards you. Like, yeah. like it's moving at a snail's pace where you could easily walk away from it, but instead you walk right into it. That's what this looked like to me. It was just a really poorly done car crash sequence. Um, Christopher Walken's mom. Oh my God. She, when he finds out that Brooke Adams is with another man, she says she, she's cleaved to another man. Why are you talking like this, ma'am? And why do you look like, why are you acting like we're in Downton Abbey? That lady looks so dry and... She kind of looked like Brie Larson to me. Oh, and then the doctor's telling her, like, remember what I told you? Like, none of your bullshit. And immediately she's like, the Lord brought you back from a trance. And the doctor's like, I told you not to say anything. Doctor's like, shut up. It wasn't a trance. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> oh, and, and the doctor's played by Herbert Lom. Did you notice in Christopher Walken's recovery room, there was that portrait of Jesus? Yes. Jesus look angry. <laughs> You have never seen a more angry looking Jesus. <laughs> then uh, the I, I I thought the scene where the the first premonition of the of the little girl's bedroom on fire. I did think it looked good. The special effects fine because we see like Christopher Walken on fire and that looked pretty good. But the thing that took me out is there's a fish bowl in her room, and yeah. the bowl is boiling. It can't <laughs> like, it can't be that hot in that room that the the water the fish bowl is boiling. It's boiling so much. The water is coursing out of it, and then the fishbowl explodes. That can't. If there are any firefighters listening or watching, or watching, that that can't be right. There can't be that much heat. Everything would have melted in the room. But you know, they hose walking down with his flame retardant, which is why he looks the way he does with that sheen, and it looks with that Martin sheen. He looks pretty. It looks effective. That Martin Afro sheen. Uh, you said that Christopher Walken's mom looked like who? Brie Larson. Like she looked like Kate Mara. Or Kate Mara. Oh. <laughs> Skinny white ladies that don't eat. I was thinking something really bad as we were watching this, but because <laughs> you know he gets premonitions from like touching their hand. I was like, don't touch your parents. Don't do it. Or I was like, what kind of premonitions would he get if he were doing other things? <laughs> 
<laughs> right. I feel like there'd be a rule. Like if you're in my close circle, I'm not going to touch you. Cause yeah. What if your mouth is somewhere else? Or what if your, uh, you know, hand is somewhere else? Like what kind of premonition would that be? <laughs> right. And then, well, he gets no premonitions when he finally has sex with Brooke Adams. Right. Okay. I, I wish this movie came out in 2023 because Christopher Walken would definitely be on my worst hair list for 2023. He has the official Floby haircut. Floby. You remember, you remember Floby? Yeah. The vacuum thing and you put the attachments. He has that haircut where it's one length all the way around. Yeah. And then what makes it worse is he always has bedhead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the thing is like Christopher Walken always has that haircut. And he's story. First, oh, go ahead. When you first see him, uh, what where he's reading, there's a lot of Edgar Allan Poe in this, but he's reading The Raven. He looks alarming, he looks like the personification of Stewie from Family Guy, kind of. Yeah, he also he has an interesting face. I actually thought he'd make a pretty lady, Christopher Walken, <laughs> if he got done up. God, has Christopher Walken ever done a film in drag? That's interesting. You know, uh, you, Sigourney Weaver, the night she met her husband, was hanging out with Chris Walken. Uh-oh. They went to the same bar together because they were co-starring in Hurley Burley. And... That's a fun fact. Mm -hmm. So the wife, or his ex-girlfriend, Brooke Adams, shows up at the recovery center to see him. And then he clearly is like, you know, it. his, uh, she's killed his spirits knowing that she's with another man and has a kid but then now that he's uh home with his dad brooke adams comes over with her kid denny she, uh, Den, denny she puts the moves on him and they have sex like you already mentioned which i just thought was so weird like it just was out of the blue and it's like what kind of like what is this it doesn't feel She's more like the other room. Like, she's like the McRib's back, and I'm gonna try it. Right, but so the next, so then later on, they're having like a late lunch, and the dad is serving them, and the dad is like, "What have you two been up to?" And Christopher Walken says, "Well, we've been making bookcases," and the smirk on that dad's face is like how I felt about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and Johnny has like a postcoital; he's glowing. <laughs> that scene it's so uncomfortable okay so then when tom scarrett asked christopher walken to come down to like a murder scene and he so it's him and his his uh like subordinate dodd and in the brood from the brood that the first crime scene like with the first body christopher tries to figure out like if he can see anything and he can't and then they go and then they get a call that there's another dead body they're in this really small town and there are just dead bodies everywhere. Like, that makes no sense. Well, that's but, most of Stephen King's stuff. Oh, it's so stupid. So they go to this next body, and he touches the body. And I guess because it was more fresh, he was able to see something. And he sees that Dodd, the deputy sheriff, is the killer. So he's like, I saw him. I was there. And blah. you would think that Christopher Walken at this point would have learned how to communicate his premonitions but he's just rambling on about i saw him i was there i didn't stop him and tom scared's like the hell are you talking about well murder's pretty traumatic and he hasn't confronted that yet maybe 
don't know. Sure. But that's why I feel like this needed to be more developed. Like, let's spend time with Christopher Walken refining this ability. It just seems to go from zero to a hundred. But he says it's Dodd, the deputy sheriff. And then Tom Scared's like, where's Dodd? And then another person says, oh, he ran off in your car. <laughs> I guess he like he believed in Christopher Walken's abilities. So he got the hell out of Dodge. I thought the scene where they're in that tunnel, I think looks really good. It does. Um, uh, it was, this film was, uh, the cinematographer was Mark Irwin, who did the first Scream film, among many others. But So they end up in Dodd's house where he lives with his mother. And Christopher goes to like meet the mom, who also looks dry and crazy. And Aline, yeah. Her hand... And she's like, you're the devil, because he tells her, oh my, because he shakes the mom's hand and he can see in her mind. And he's like, oh my God, you knew your son was the killer. And this lady has the audacity to tell him he's the devil. Right. Like, mm -hmm. The one who knew your son was a serial killer, but I'm the devil. Okay. <laughs> and then when she tries to shoot and kill him and that acting was so over the top. <laughs> It was. I do like Colleen Dewhurst. Uh, I don't know if you remember her from When a Stranger Calls, which is another film that feels like two different movies, but I, I like her portion of it. But yeah. And that mom shoots Christopher Walken in the leg. And can we talk about Christopher Walken's walk? Oh, he's he's giving you uh, Marlon Brando style acting. <laughs> no, Kuma, I mean, the, the Cronenberg, right? He, I mean, I'm sure they had a talk about like, how am I going to seem physically okay. like, let's try this. And then they said, yeah, let's do that. His walk looks so crazy. He was walking. <laughs> he, yeah, he was, he looked like a cartoon character walking. Yeah. Yes. Laughable. So then he moves to a new town because he's become so popular and he's trying to avoid all the fan mail. Did you notice in his room, he had all of this children's artwork? Mm-hmm. Well, because he teaches kids out of his home. I don't know. I that made me uncomfortable. I oh. just this grown man is around these kids, and then when his little relationship with that rich man's boy, and it just I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I guess I don't know. <laughs> He's played by Anthony Zerby, but you brought up a good point when we were talking about it. It's kind of like the plot mechanism of no hard feelings, where it's like my kid can't read good and needs help coming out of his shell please come uh help him yeah yeah i don't know i because the christopher walken character makes me uncomfortable because he was like super religious and sexually repressed and then now you're around all these kids and you have their artwork and you're and then when you're offered this like really weird random opportunity to like spend a lot of time with this boy you are like you like you it, it just makes no sense why his character would be like, yeah, let me. And then it like the first day of work is on a Saturday. Like, what? well, no, the creepiest moment with all of that is he's teaching Anthony Zerby's kid. They're at Walken's house. And one of um, somebody knocks on the door to peddle the, the shit about Martin Sheen. Like, are you going to vote for are you going to vote for whatever his name is? And it ends up being the husband of Rook Adams, who's also but there. And what then are, what are the odds that that would happen? Well, again, in Stephen King world, those odds are pretty good. Uh, but then the kid comes downstairs and he's like, hey, Johnny, it's no fun reading alone. It's like, ooh. 
<laughs> people don't like when I say that because they think I'm always making. I don't trust people. I really don't. No. I especially don't trust the people who seem wholesome. So that's what makes me uncomfortable about that character. <laughs> uh, there are no black people in this movie. Not a single one. In black clothes, like there is nothing like this movie. That was the first thing I said to my sister, like, oh, no black people in this school. Oh my God. Like in the hallways, in the classrooms, like what? I uh, playing, I think, in a band. Like, but but that's it. Yeah. Um the scene where Christopher gets the premonition of Martin Sheen pressing the button to launch the missiles. That was so over the top. Martin Sheen screaming. And we had already gotten a scene with him screaming at a rally, like a political rally. <laughs> shaking down a journalist yeah it, it that did not work for me at all what made christopher walken think he was a good marksman that he was going to shoot and kill this man from the mezzanine level of a theater like <laughs> i don't know he just had he just had a rifle he didn't he couldn't even load the bullets correctly but he thinks he's going to be a sharpshooter uh, that didn't make sense to me when my final note is when martin when martin sheen grabs that baby to protect himself from being shot. It's Brooke Adams' baby. Mm -hmm. Baby's dad is in the audience. Yep. And when that, Martin Sheen, after he drops the baby, runs past the dad yep. and bump into each other, there needed to be a fight. You just grabbed my baby as a bulletproof vest? No, there needed to be a full-on altercation. But Or don't even have the dad in the scene. Because to have the dad be there and bump into Martin Sheen and kind of just go like, oh, oh, that was too much for me. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. To, to me, that's why part of that feels like, oh, this is kind of like how people are now. The, the, they follow somebody that's really toxic for them and they're not, they won't uh, cast aspersions upon them. This would be a fun movie to watch with people and to laugh and roll your eyes. So I do think it's entertaining, but as a story and a screenplay, I think it's pretty weak. I so I haven't read the book and I know you don't remember it. So I, I'm assuming that they hit all the high points from the novel. Um, but I, I will say in its defense, it, it has that uh, early 80s vibe. I like I, I like the look of it. I think Christopher Walken is a lot of fun. Um, I, I really enjoyed rewatching it. What would you give this movie? I think three is fair. Oh, I'm torn. I was going to give it two out of five. I okay. think I. I'll give it two and a half out of five. <laughs> I don't think it's an okay, fine story, but it is very entertaining. So story-wise, I would give it, I mean, just based on the story, I'd give it like one and a half. I think it's a really poorly done screenplay. Okay, and then, you know, we didn't even talk about the title, which... What do you think the title means? They talk about it, because... Um, Christopher Walken tells Herbert Lom, the doctor, that he's like, there, there's like a blind spot in my visions and that their conversation, they're able to deduce that because you have the ability to change the future and that's the dead zone. That's the, the part of the vision you can't see because it's not set in stone yet, per se. Like it could change based upon your intervention. That's right. That's right. Um, well, what do we have coming this week? Oh, what do we have coming this week? I, I don't know. Um, well, you know, everybody's excited for Barbie and Oppenheimer, which uh, we are scheduled to see, but I think that's the week after. Oh. 
Um, oh, because yeah, next week doesn't have a, a whole lot, but we will when I get back from where I'm from, we'll probably watch uh, the Miracle Club and Theater Camp. There's a new Nikki Whalen film that I'm sure you're excited to talk about. Um, and we've already we've already seen Bird Box Barcelona. Oh, God. oh and Cobweb sounds interesting. Um, oh, and I also just got a screener for They Clone Tyrone, which. I'm very interested in with John Boyega. Story? What is that? <laughs> Who's in uh, that? John Boyega? Adu story. She has a song called Tyrone. Um, well, for next week, so this week, next week's selection will have to be mine because okay. it's because it's uh to coordinate with an upcoming holiday. <laughs> it's not a federal holiday, but it's an important holiday. Okay. July 15th is Jackie Washington Day. Oh, I already know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyone who is familiar with Jackie Washington Day, that'll be our next secret film. Entendre. Entendre. <laughs> Give me a drink and make it a double. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's all I have. Okay. Same. All right. Ta-ta. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,